tell the pressure. Okay. So there was uh, these uh, twin boys named Jim and John, and Jim and John were never well behaved, especially not in church. And their mother had had enough one day, and so she decided that she was going to set up an, a meeting with the senior pastor of the church. So Jim was the first guy to, to come in, and um, and so Jim sat down, and the pastor said, "Good morning, Jim. Where's God?" Jim didn't say anything. Didn't know what to say. Where is God? Pastor asked him a second time. Now Jim's eyes are getting big. He's getting filled with fear. Where is God? The third time. Jim bolts out of the room. He runs out of the church. He runs down the street. He runs into his house. He finds his brother and he goes, God's missing. Yeah. And they think we did it. <laughs> well, let me tell you, God is definitely not missing. And that's a good thing. But he might be silent sometimes. And I think it's fair to say that we've all had times where we've wondered, where are you, Lord? And we question if God's really faithful. And more importantly, is he faithful to me? And will he be faithful to me when I really need his help? And these thoughts arise as a result of environment, circumstances, occurrences. And, and if they, they cause us to ponder, do we really and truly believe it? Well, last month I had created everything I was going to do for today. I was ready, but God, uh, he recently changed all of that. And so some of what I'm going to share today is very raw and very fresh. And so I'd ask that you give me some grace. And as always, I'm going to stick to my notes, because if I read from notes, we'll finish in time to actually have a conversation. And if I don't, um, you know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, we might get out of here. Next slide, please. I'm just going to ask the Lord to help me here. Holy Spirit, would you just... Give me the words to say. Would you put everything on my lips and help me to articulate? Most importantly, would all of our lives be changed today? Jesus. We're going to start with a short beat. It's an urge. Truth be told, every champion has felt it. Every president has felt it. Every king has felt it. Every lion has felt it. Every winner has felt it. Every soldier has felt it. Every victorious person has felt it. The urge to quit. Don't you give up on your dream. I don't care if you don't have the money, you don't have the help, and you don't have the family for it, and you don't have the background for it, and you don't have the friends for it. Don't you give up on your dream. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. It may take you twice as long. You may have to take courses and classes. You might not read as fast. You might not move as quick. You might not have as much. But don't you quit. Don't you quit. Don't you quit. You do make a difference. You do make a difference. You do make a difference. 
as weak as you are, as tired as you are, as many mistakes as you made, you do make a difference. There is something they would lose if you were not there. There was something that they would miss if you were not there. You do make a difference. You do make a difference. You do make a difference. Keep hopping. It's for people that are trying to hop their way back home. Come hell or high water, doing the best they can with what they got. That's, that's who we are, doing the best we can with what we got. And we may not break any ribbons and we may not get any trophies, but if we can learn how to hang on in there, we'll be all right. I will not lie to you, I feel like going on. But I have seen days I did not want to get out of the bed, didn't want to put on clothes, and didn't even feel like brushing my teeth. I've seen days so dark that I just wanted to keep driving, and I didn't even care where I ended up or what you called me. They came, and they passed. And they came to pass. I kept the faith. I kept it. I lost a lot of stuff. I lost a lot of friends. I lost a lot of strength. I lost a lot of courage. I lost a lot of time. I lost a lot of money, but I kept down on my knees. I was still believing. Broke, I was believing. Lonely, I was believing. Betrayed, I was. If you lose the job, keep the faith. If you lose the spouse, keep the faith. If you bury your child, keep the faith. If you have to downsize, keep the faith. If you have to move in with your mama, keep the faith. If you're at your wit's end, keep the faith. If you have to catch the bus, keep the faith. If you have to thumb, keep the faith. If you get sick, keep the faith. If you lose your kidneys, keep the faith. If you got a heart trouble, keep the faith. You might not get a new heart, but you gotta keep your faith. Today is not going to be a Bible study, but I do feel that it's important to review just how we can be confident in the Lord's faithfulness to us. So here are some verses from the Amplified Version, of course. Um, first, uh, this is a transition slide. Speak louder. Okay, <clears throat> thanks. First Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful. He's reliable, trustworthy, and ever true to his promise. He can be depended upon. And through him, you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Translation says. In Deuteronomy 7, 9, therefore know without any doubt and understand the Lord your God. He is God, the faithful God, who's keeping his covenant and his steadfast loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Next transition. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, we read, Faithful and absolutely trustworthy is he who is calling you to himself for your salvation. And he will do it, and he will fulfill his call by making you holy, guarding you, watching you, and protecting you as his own. Guys, when he asks us to do something for him, he's going to empower us to do it. Next transition. And in 2 Timothy 2.13, we read, if, he, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, true to his word and his righteous character. He cannot deny himself. Next slide, please. So based on those scriptures, we can speak of the faithfulness of God. We can be confident 
that he always does what's right in every situation. He has and always will fulfill every promise that he ever made in all situations and at all times. He never changes. He is always the same and he always will be. We all know that he sometimes will answer prayer in a way that's different than we had asked. But he's always faithful with what is best for us. And we need to understand that right at that moment. But later on in life, sometimes much later, we can look back to understand the whys and the wherefores of that situation. Next slide, please. In order for us to know that God is faithful, he must be a few things. First of all, he must be omniscient. He knows everything about us, right? He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. He's omnipotent. Need more coffee. He's all powerful and always within reach and ready, willing, and able to move on our behalf. He's always truthful, no matter what. Titus uh, chapter 1, verse 2 says, Based on the hope and divine guarantee of eternal life, the life which God, who is ever truthful and without deceit, promised before time began. And he never changes. Same yesterday, today, and forever. He tells us that if we call upon him, and ask him anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, let's hear a few examples and situations from the Bible that to man seem completely impossible, but thanks to the Lord's faithfulness, they all came to pass. Next slide, please. So we know the story. The Lord came to the aid as the, of the Israelites as they were leaving Egypt, parted the sea so they could cross on dry, on dry ground, and then he drowned the Egyptians that were Egyptian army that was trying to uh, overtake them. Well, the Lord provided a cloud for the Israelites to follow, and he also provided a protective wall of fire that no enemy could penetrate. He was faithful. Next slide, please. Lord promised to make Abraham a great nation, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky, and through Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. Well, that's actually a two-part promise. The birth of Isaac fulfilled the first part, and Jesus, Abraham's descendant, fulfills the second part. What makes this so amazing is that Abraham was in his 70s when the initial promise was made, and Sarah was in her 60s. And then when Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 90, the Lord informed them they'd have a son the following year, and that, of course, was Isaac, who was, in fact, born. The next year. Well, we all know the story. About 10 years after the initial promise, Sarah suggests to Abraham, maybe you should sleep with my maid because that way you can have a son. So Sarah was helping God out. Anybody here beside me ever try and help God fulfill one of his promises? How'd that go for you? For me, not so well. Anyway, like many wrong choices, there were consequences. And Hagar gave birth to Ishmael, and then Sarah resented both Hagar and Ishmael. And then after Isaac was born, they sent Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert to die. But they didn't die. And actually, Ishmael survived, and the Lord blessed Ishmael with 12 tribes, which today represent a number of the Arab countries. We see... Through Jesus, all the nations were actually blessed, just like the Lord had 
said to Abraham. And that was all regardless to, sorry, of the poor decisions that Abraham had made. So take heart. If we make poor decisions or we make poor choices, we can be sure that the Lord is forgiving and he's a faithful God. Next slide, please. So there was Noah. In the middle of nowhere, he tells Noah to build an ark, right? Because he's going to destroy everything on the earth. Well, then the Lord floods the earth and every living creature that's not residing in the ark with Noah and his family died. So that was the initial promise. Then the Lord promised Noah that he'd never do this again with water and that he would give us rainbows, right? So every time we see a rainbow, we remember that promise. So the Lord was faithful to his initial promise, and then he was faithful to his second promise as well. Next slide, please. Then there's Jonah. Jonah, the Lord tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to inform the inhabitants of coming judgment. Jonah despised the people of Nineveh because of their sin, and he believed the people of Nineveh didn't deserve a second chance. So instead of going to Nineveh, he boards a ship and goes in the complete opposite direction. Well, there's a big storm, and Jonah tells his shipmates, hey, it's, it's on me. I'm the reason that everything's happening. He finds himself thrown overboard, and he's in the belly of a big fish for three days before he gets vomited out onto dry land. The Bible says, literally. So here we have an example of the Lord's discipline. I like to say, Jonah got a timeout in the belly of that fish for three days, right? We also have an example of the Lord's faithfulness. Jonah was not faithful to what the Lord asked him to do, but the Lord was patient and faithful to Jonah. Well, Jonah went to Nineveh finally, and he informed them of the king's coming judgment. Sorry, the Lord's coming uh, judgment. And then upon hearing this, the king of Nineveh tore his clothes and declared a fast, and the people repented, and the Lord relented on his judgment. The people were not faithful, but they responded quickly and correctly to the warning that the Lord had brought forth. So there was no judgment on them at that time. Once again, the Lord was faithful despite all of the sin and because the people showed true repentance. Next slide, please. How about Jericho? The Lord promised to give Joshua this city, which had fortified impenetrable walls. See, you guys over there, you're not seeing any of this stuff, but those walls are massively thick. The Lord's instructions were as follows. March around the city for six days, and then on the seventh, uh, with the Ark of the Covenant, and then on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times, priests blowing the trumpet, then there'd be one long trumpet blast, and then a big shout. Everybody's supposed to shout. The walls of the city are going to fall down. You can go in and take the city. Right. Walls. Massive, right? Well, that's what the Israelites did. They did exactly what the Lord said. They followed the recipe perfectly. Walls fell down. They went in and took the city. Is anything too difficult for our God? Next slide, please. And speaking of Jericho, prior to the Lord giving the city to the Israelites, Joshua sent two spies who stayed at Rahab's house. Rahab was a prostitute. And when the king of Jericho heard about the spies, he commanded Rahab to turn them over. But instead, Rahab hid the spies 
and sent the king's men off in a direction which was totally opposite to the way the, the spies would be traveling later on. Rahab said, catch this, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. She believed that their God was God. And since she showed kindness to them, she asked if they would spare her life and the life of her entire family when they came to destroy the city. The spies directed Rahab to hang a scarlet cord from the window and have Rahab's entire family stay inside during the entire time of battle. That reminds me of Passover when the lamb's blood was spread over the door doorpost of uh, the Israelites and they were commanded to stay inside so the angel of death would not come into their home. So, um, the spies escaped and they informed Joshua that the people of Jericho were melting in fear and the Israelites would be able to take the land, which they did, and everyone in Rahab's household was saved. So, why is Rahab important? Well, her husband was Salmon, and Salmon was a descendant of Abraham. And their great-grandson was King David. And through whose lineage we find Jesus. Rahab was not an Israelite, but she honored the Lord even without an initial personal experience with him. And the Lord was faithful to her in the greatest of ways. So those are some amazing stories. But what about our own experience? Next slide, please. We need to be always listening because the Lord is always speaking. Do we hear him or are we too busy? Well, I'm embarrassed to say that I often get caught up with life and I'm not paying attention. But on occasion, I get it right. And here's an example of that. On, on a flight to St. Louis in 1997, the Lord told me that I would be in Darmstadt, Germany, several months from then. And he had an assignment. He wanted me to meet with the mayor of Darmstadt to publicly forgive the people of Germany. I argued vehemently for three hours because I hated the people of Germany for what they had done to my family when Hitler rose to power. Some were exterminated. And those who escaped to the United States were given $12 each, which was quite a change from a full-time cook, a butler, chauffeur, full-time governess, and living in a villa, which was the equivalent of about a city block. It turns out that it was the Oberbürgermeister, which is really the governor of the entire region of about 300,000 people who asked to meet with myself and the head of the Jewish community that day. Despite severe resistance from the enemy, where I almost, I almost had to cancel the trip, I was able to meet and publicly forgive the people of Germany. I took them through family history, Old Testament script, supporting scripture, and then New Testament scripture, clearly articulating in whose name and strength I could forgive. There was no way I wanted to do that. I did not want to forgive the German people. When asked why I came to Darmstadt to do this, I said, the Lord told me 
to do it. And I thought the Oberberger Meister's eyes were going to pop right out of his head. When asked if he would accept this forgiveness on behalf of the people of Germany, he literally jumped out of his seat and said, yes. Next day, I was on the property that once belonged to my family. And I was feeling weepy, feeling sorry for myself. When the Lord told me to go to the synagogue, I had no desire to go to the synagogue, didn't know why I should go to the synagogue, so I argued with him, like they do a lot. But I finally obeyed, and I got there, and there were people saying that they were waiting for me, and I, that's only God, right? Because I don't, there was no call ahead seating. It wasn't like outback, right? So um, I get there, and who but the wife of the head of the Jewish community is the one who took us on a tour of the entire synagogue and all the things that were in it and all that was going on. And it was also to her that I then was able to recant everything that I had articulated the day before in the Oberbürgermeister's office. I listened and I obeyed. And who knows, but the greatest impact might have been on the other people. I, I have no idea. But the impact on me, wow, I was blessed to be able to walk in the freedom of forgiveness because our God is faithful. Next slide, please. Well, my dear friend and yours, Werner Trentner, is right here, front and center. He's one of us. And Werner is of German descent. He's not Jewish. 30 years ago, my feelings toward Werner would have been anger, bitterness, hatred, because he was the son and grandson of people who were German. And in my anger, I believed that all Germans were responsible for making my family's life a living hell in the 1930s, exterminating some and causing the rest to go from extreme wealth to poverty in a land that they did not know speaking a foreign language. But Werner and I are good friends. And my feelings for Werner are just love and appreciation and great respect for what he does to help people that are less fortunate than he. And I'm excited to be able to look him in the eye and tell him that I love him. Because I am free. Because the Lord in his faithfulness to me healed my heart when he guided me to forgive the German. Werner, I love you, bro. Love Next you slide, well. please. Then this happened 12 days ago. What you're about to hear is a prophetic word spoken over my wife and I by Krista Smith. Sean and Krista Smith are international speakers and ministers who equip and empower God's people looking for God's presence to saturate the next generation, and usher in a historic revival that exalts the name of Jesus on earth. Both of them move in the prophetic, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We recall that the apostle said in 1 Corinthians 14:1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Well, the Smiths were at our church, that's Bethany Church, uh, which now has six campuses, as the special guest speakers 
at our three-day-long Holy Spirit conference. Krista spoke on Sunday morning at our Washington Township campus, where my wife and I teach youth now on Sundays. We've graduated from the kids that Bob was talking about before. Then we're part of the altar ministry. Krista has never met us, knows nothing about us. And she, as she was ending her message, she spoke this prophetic word over Linda and myself. This couple right here, um, I assume your husband and wife, you have a, yes, you too. Perfect. Can you just, are you guys connected? You are married. Oh, phew. Okay. You never know. I have learned never assume anything, right? I saw the word covenant over the two of you. And I heard the Lord say, you've chosen covenant even when it's cost you. And I feel like the last three to four years, you have paid a price in following Jesus. There's been a price in choosing how God has led you. It hasn't been a traditional way. It hasn't even been the way in which you expected. But I heard the Lord say, because of your faithfulness, because you've chosen covenant even when it was inconvenient, even when it was uncomfortable, I heard the Lord say, watch me provide I heard the Lord say I am your provider and you will see the father of provision over you where there has been lack I just declare lack is over and the blessing of the Lord is coming forth and I felt like the Lord says where it's been hard there is will now be an ease I speak an ease to you in the movement toward the things of God I feel like it's almost like at times you've just been trudging through mud almost it's just been like it's just felt hard it's felt difficult and I felt like the Lord says I'm removing uh, the restriction uh, th there's been such an assignment I don't say this to highlight the enemy but I do feel like the Lord says there's been an assignment against you to tap out like to take you out it was it was serious more than anyone knows it was very serious the assignment against you and I heard the Lord say he sent uh, uh, this like almost barricade of angels around you and that's what has sustained you that's what sustained you that that's what's gotten you through but I just see the Lord even coming behind you now as I'm prophesying the Spirit of the Lord is behind you and he's saying, I got you. And I see you both like sinking into him, like falling into the Lord. And I felt like the Lord says, where you've been pushing. And that's beautiful. I, I love I love the, the push in you guys. But I feel like the Lord says, this isn't the season to push. This is the season to abide. And you're going to abide and rest in the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. Where you've been pushing. I just felt like that push, that fight in you. Your fight looks like peace. Your warfare is your joy and your praise. And it's abiding in who God is. So, Lord, I just release that over this couple right now. Lord, I thank you for your kindness, your mercy, and your grace over them. You've sustained them. Your presence surrounds them, and they rest in you. In Jesus. I shared that because it demonstrates the Lord's faithfulness. Every single morning, my wife and I pray together, and we pray for many people and situations that others are experiencing. And we pray for continued favor, blessing, and protection over us and our family. We pray specifically 
that he would send angels to protect us. It's no coincidence. You just heard we pray that he would be a wall of fire protecting us, just as he was for the Israelites when they left Egypt. We ask for protection over our finances and that he would provide exponential provision. I've been doing this literally for the 37 years that I've been a Christian. Started with my kids for these very specific things when I first got saved. And these, yes, these last few years have been extraordinarily challenging for Linda and myself in many different areas of our lives. And now the Lord revealed why. I had no idea. This word from the Lord showed us that he truly knows us, that he hears our prayers, that he is our provider, our protector, our deliverer. And no one but the Lord knew anything about the mud that we were trudging through, as she said. Being attacked on every side, but our God was fighting for us. And he is, and he always will be, our waymaker, our refuge, our strength, and very present help in times of trouble. Next slide, please. Our Heavenly Father knows every single need that we have before we tell him. His love for us is unconditional, it's perfect, and it's timeless. We also know that he's gifted each of us with a literal treasure trove of talent. As I close, I leave you with this thought and question to ponder over the weekend. Is there anything that he has placed into each of our hearts, into your heart, to accomplish using those gifts and talents that will require a little or a lot of faith. Because stepping out in faith will provide an opportunity for our Father in Heaven to demonstrate His faithfulness. Next slide, please. So here are several questions to discuss. Um, number one, share about a time, and the next slide will have the questions uh, listed so you guys can look up here and you can also uh, hear these for the table. So share about a time when you thought that the Lord was not faithful to you, but later realized that he really was faithful after seeing the bigger picture. And how did that make you feel? And did you tell anyone about it? And question number two, how did that help you the next time that you needed the Lord's intervention when faced with a difficult situation? And then number three, discuss some occurrences in your life where it's taken a very long time for a prayer to be answered and you felt like giving up, but you continued to pray until the Lord came through. Thanks for allowing me to share today. It's been a blessing to be here and um, look forward to uh, hearing in a few minutes, probably in about 10 minutes from now, some of what's being discussed at the table. God bless you guys. You know, when Steve spoke about his testimony for the second time here, it was in the other room, um, he spoke about the forgiveness that he gave the people of Darmstadt. Um, and I was, I have to tell you, I have to just, I'm going to come over here. Uh, <laughs> I have to tell you, 
When I heard Steve talk about this, I was just like, oh boy, here it is, another story about uh, the ugly German and uh, just the history of the past and how persecution, ugliness, hatred of a certain group of people um, destroy mankind yet again. I rolled my eyes at first at Steve, and so I felt a little bit of bitterness to him. Um, and I, I'm, I have to tell you, it, it just, it's been hardening my heart for years because this is stuff that I've grown up with. I mean, when we played war, guess who I always was? I was the bad guy. I was the guy that did, and this is things that I've just been carrying through in my heart that I never even realized growing up. I carried around this bitterness. Not only that, my, my family was persecuted. My family was annihilated in Germany. And the other bitterness that I've carried in my heart has been the plight of the refugee. And that's what we're seeing now in the Ukraine, the plight of the refugee. But it's in around in every war. But nobody hears about the plight of the refugee. So here it is, this bitterness, bitterness in my heart is growing. But the Lord is faithful. But God, those faithful words moved me the last time that Steve gave his testimony. You might be saying, oh my goodness, here we go again with Steve. But God has been working in my heart, in my heart, to break that heart of stone and to give me a heart of flesh. And it's not done through what we have accomplished, the good things that we've accomplished. It's done through the brokenness of the world, what the devil intended for evil and continues to do this day. God is using for our good and his glory the divisiveness of others, the divisiveness today. My, my other brother, Doug, is helping me to see how I can become an agent of reconciliation through just being an instrument in the Redeemer's hand, understanding that God is faithful and he will change us. Brothers, I have to tell you, this is amazing, amazing, amazing that God is doing a good work in the midst of this ugliness. What he is restoring, what the locusts have eaten. And I can turn around to my brother. And what the, what the people of this world have destroyed, destroyed in utter ugliness, is coming back to new life person whose family was destroyed years ago. Another person whose family was destroyed years ago are coming together through the love of God. Praise him, praise him, praise him. And I'm here to say that I really do love my brother for what he's done to show me the love of the Lord. <clears throat> Do you mind if I say something? I, um, 
this is not rehearsed, but um, with that. <laughs> uh, my name is Andreas Metzger. I'm from Manhattan. And uh, my name is Andreas Metzger. I'm from Manhattan. Um, I'm actually the first generation born here in the United States. Uh, and during Steve's talk, I was just um, welled up with tears because um, the story that he shared, I can relate to. Um, both my parents were born in Stuttgart, Germany, and um, I still have aunts and uncles that live in, in the Stuttgart area. And I, both my parents shared stories. They, both, both my father and mother moved here in 1958 and um, raised us well. And I just remember the stories of um, my mother sharing with me during World War II how um, her and my grandfather would have to sneak through the woods to the next town to be able to get food rations. And the Nazis came to my grandfather and said, you're going to join the Nazi party. And he's like, no, I'm not. He goes, well, then we're going to kill you right now. So he was very clever. And he figured out that he would become a, a chauffeur for a major. And this way, he would know what was happening in the war um, and was always kept safe. And even years after, that major would come to their home and bring presents. He was actually a very nice man. But um, the point of my story is that the people of Germany really did not want to participate, much like the people of Russia probably don't want to participate in what's happening today. Um, but I look back on my relatives now, and the German people have so much sorrow, not sorrow, um, they, um, they feel so, they have so much guilt. <clears throat> they are like welcoming people from you know, the, the refugees uh, from all over the world. But a really good example of it was when the wall came down and they literally welcomed people from East Germany into West Germany. And it was a real hardship. The people from Eastern Germany, when they came to Western Germany, absorbed all the resources, didn't really help with GDP. And um, to this day, my uncle has um, a refugee living in his house who is going to school and now got his master's or doctorate. But I can see it in my relatives, how they have like just opened their homes and their arms up in apology, even though they didn't actually probably carry any responsibility for what happened. But um, this has just been just so appreciative of what you shared. I didn't, I didn't even know why I was coming this morning. I just, um, from time to time, I like to see my brothers here in New Jersey, and um, uh, I just wanted to share that with you because it kind of gives, it kind of gives a little bit of overview of what, how different cultures and how we relate with one another. And I remember when I was in elementary school, I spoke English and German because my parents came to visit to speak English, and I was rejected. A lot of people are like, "He's from Germany. He's." I got over it. It wasn't big deal but I remember during my elementary years how I was rejected and then when I got into my college years everything changed um, people were saying oh you're from Germany oh I went there and visited such an amazing country and it was it was very thankful that we kind of got out of that that um, that hatred so anyway 
Just wanted to show you.